how many of your guys' lives would you say you felt like God was changing and working in your life last year? I can't wait to see what he does this year. I mean, you know, like, it's like now it's a whole blank slate. Like, okay, God, this is what you did in my life last year. What are you going to do this year, right? So that's why we're starting here too. Um, as I was uh, on, on my little vacation sick, I had a lot of time to read, and I started reading through the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, one of the things I want to share with you about Luke, Luke was a, a doctor. He was not one of the 12 disciples, um, but he is the one who writes in a way of like being a historical chronological order. So Matthew, him being a tax collector, um, he sees everything in columns. So um, if you think of an accountant, they like to have everything in columns, right? When he wrote his, his gospel, and I love how Matthew writes because I like it, it's, it's like systematic theology. So he writes five chapters, five, six, and seven is all Jesus' sermons put into one sermon. But when you read the book of Luke, this part was on this day, and this part of the sermon was over here, and this part of the sermon was over here, and it was scattered throughout because what Luke was doing was writing a historical, you know, chronological, from day to day, this type of a timeline. Matthew was like, here's, here's all the things that Jesus was teaching. Boom. Here's the miracles that we saw. Boom. Here's what the Pharisees were doing. Here's what parables he taught. And everything is just, you see these columns throughout the gospel of, 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 of Matthew. And then when you read John, his is like a love letter. I mean, when you start reading that, you can't go very far without seeing him talking about the love, the love, the love, the love. So that's what I love about the gospels is they're all saying that they're telling the same exact story, but you can see human um, heart involved in that. The God was using a human heart and, and how they saw in their perspective of the world and he put his words into that. And it's just, I, I love it. So anyways, so I was reading through Luke because I always read through Matthew. I'm always reading through Matthew because I love the systematic. It's a system and it's got its box and everything's got its own place. Well, then I started reading Luke and I started seeing things unfold. Well, here's the deal. I am a disciple. That's the first thing I want us, and I underline that that's what the series is. Today's message is called to follow. But I want you to understand that I am, anytime you say I am, it's an identity statement. You know, one of the things that I, and I, I spend a lot of time talking about identity because this is the area that I am so worried about our youth. Probably maybe this more than any other area is where they find their identity. How do they identify themselves? You know, because today we know that there's a growing problem in the world where kids are no longer identifying, they're, they're struggling with what they identify sexually, whether they're a girl or a boy. And I, and I mean, you know, my wife went to another town and was helping out with another school, and, and, and one of the children that was in, like, middle school was offended because she said all girls report in. But that girl didn't want to be a girl. She wanted to be a boy. Well, here's the reality is you're a girl. And we live in a world that says, you know what, if you don't want to be a girl, you don't have to be a girl. You don't want to be a boy, you don't have to. If you don't, you know, and we live in this world that's trying to justify and rationalize and make everything that you want to think on your own is okay. That's a problem. It's a major problem because God created us a certain way. Like anybody who ever grows up on a farm, it's pretty easy. You lift up the tail and you know exactly what you're dealing with. That's how the world should be. And it should continue that way. God created you this way. You were specially, you were fearfully and wonderfully made just the way that you are. And so what happens is we have this world who's trying to tell us differently of who you are. We have people, our friends, people, you know, kids have friends that are wanting to lead them down other roads and say, this is who you are, this is who you are. What I'm saying is this, flip the script. 
What we need to do right now is we need to stop letting the world tell us who we are. We need to change the, uh, change the narrative and say, God's already told me who I am. And what I want you to understand in this month, I want you to understand is that you have a choice to be a disciple of Christ or not. That's to everyone. Anyone can be a disciple of Christ. A lot of times we, we think we're not worthy of it, and we have all these different reasons, but I'm telling you this. God's called us all to be His disciple. Every one of us. Romans 8.30, And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8. The word called, that's why I use this word called to follow today. The word called is kaleo, a bid to invite. So what this is, is God's invitation. And here's what I want you guys to understand. I, I, I kind of get upset towards some preachers and, and, I, and you know, we're, we're, it's okay for us to be different. And there's, you know, you have two preachers in the same room, you're going to have two different opinions on a lot of things but I really think that a lot of pastors have really confused a lot of people on the word predestination by trying to think more than what it is. You know what the word predestination means, literally, in, it, in its original meaning? Predestiny. That what it means is this, that God had a destiny for your life before you were born. How many of you agree that God had a plan, a destiny, for your life before you were created, right? So then God predestined us all. You see, the problem is not in God's predestined plan for me. It's my problem that I didn't follow it. See, God has called us all. He's predestined us all to have a better destiny than what half of us have settled for. So, I want us to know that. So when I say that like, we are called to follow, you're all invited. You've all had the bid to, to, to come and follow Christ. You've all, like, like with, with, with God has called and invited all of you to come follow him. It's not like he says, well, I'm inviting you, but I don't want to invite you. God invited all of you. You all can follow Christ, not just 12 of you, not just some of you, not some that had a good enough home life or good enough schooling here or, or you had this or you had that. No, everyone is called to follow. So we're looking at uh, uh, this first one. I'm just going to make a reference to Matthew's version of this and he says as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee he saw two brothers Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew they were casting nets into the lake for they were fishermen right so uh that makes sense come follow me Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people at once they left their nets and they followed him and when I read that I'm just sitting here going okay the way that Matthew made this sound is like he's just walking down the beach one day and hey guys come follow me and they're like okay I quit and they jump out of the boat, you know, and that's what it makes it sound like, right? And so my mind starts turning because that's what my mind does, and I start asking a bunch of questions because that's what I do. I'm like, why would anyone quit their job, leave behind everything they ever knew to follow someone they didn't know? Anybody, anybody with me on that? Like, really hard for me to just imagine, to imagine Peter and, and Andrew fishing in a boat, and they're trying to pay their own bills. They got taxes. You know, the Romans have a lot of taxes, but they want paid, so they have pay their taxes or they lose their home. They got to feed, feed, feed the family. You know, they got to do this. And so, like, you're just quitting your job and because the guy said, said to, right? So that's Matthew. And that's why I'm, we're studying the book of Luke because I want to show you something. And Luke's gospel, when he's writing this, remember that Luke is writing from this chronological timeline. 
In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, this is where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. So we know that when he was tempted in the wilderness, this was before any disciples were following him. Then he begins right after preaching, or after going through the, the wilderness, he begins to preach, going town to town to town. In Luke chapter 4, verses 14, he first goes to his hometown. They reject him, but he's preaching the gospel, so people are hearing him preach. Luke 4, 31 through 37, people were amazed at his teaching, so he's out there teaching in the synagogues. So he's building a name. It's like a preacher that anybody in that town would have like, wow, did you hear Jesus preach in the synagogue today? Yeah, it was amazing. He preached with authority. Everybody was amazed by what he was teaching. Luke 4:38. Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of, oh, Simon Peter. Interesting, right? He went to the home of Simon Peter. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a, higher, from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her, so he bent over, rebuked the fever, it left her, she got up and began to wait on them. You see, I'm wanting you to understand is that before Jesus ever asked them to get out of the boat, he already had a relationship with them. We just didn't see that in the book of Matthew. That's why when I read the Gospels, I like to lay them all out. I like to see what they're all saying, not just one, but I like to look at it all, because then when I look at Luke, I'm like, oh, Luke, that makes sense. Because Luke is concerned about a timeline. Matthew's concerned about everything staying in its own column. That's how it is, and it's so great. So anyways, it's because of this relationship. So here's the, here's the, the one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. So the same Simon that he stayed at his house, it's the same. So he's already got a relationship. Can you imagine somebody walking up and you, know, you just got done fishing all day and they said, hey, I'm going to get in your boat and put me out there so I can talk to everybody. And you didn't know him. That would be a little weird. And, and, and not saying that you, you maybe you'd be like, okay, sure, yeah, absolutely. To me, I'd be like, what are you going to preach before I let you get into my boat and start doing that in front, you know, like I'm like, you know, I'm not going to just let somebody stand in a pulpit. I've had a lot of people say they were preachers. Didn't mean I let them in the pulpit. So anyways, so he got into the boat, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. What I'm wanting you to see is that, that a lot of times we think that Jesus is just walking down the, the, the thing and nobody knew him and then he just looked at you and snapped a finger and said, come follow me. They knew who Jesus was before he asked them to come follow them. They knew him by reputation. They knew him by hearing him preach. He had been in their house. And a lot of times, so Simon, Andrew, Andrew, his brother, was actually, I don't know if you know this, but Andrew was actually a disciple of John the Baptist before he was a disciple of Jesus. So when Andrew heard John the Baptist talking about Jesus and, and watched Jesus get baptized, he ran to Peter, Simon Peter, and he said, we found the Messiah and then guess who stays at Simon's house later that day? Or later on that time period. I don't want to say that day because I don't know if it was that day. So what we're seeing is Jesus is, is, is he has this relationship. And what you're going to find in your life is this. And the reason why I'm, I'm really highlighting this aspect is this. The greater your relationship with Christ grows, the more willingness to leave everything behind and follow him will happen in your life. See, a lot of people think they just like left everything right then and there with no knowledge of anything. And no one would do that. But here's these guys. They knew him. They heard his teaching. They believed in him. They, 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 they knew that he was special. They was somebody. And then when he invited them 
to follow him at a closer level, they did drop everything to do it because this was their chance. Same way with you. As you grow in that relationship with Christ, guess what? You're going to want to follow him closer and closer and closer. And so like to me, I look at 2022 for all of us, all of us, myself included. What if we just surrendered some more of what's in our life that needs to not be in our life? What if we start surrendering more and then we get to that point where we've surrendered all? I mean, that's really the goal. That's what these guys have done. They sat down. And so let me get to the next part of this verse. So uh, when he uh, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, I love this, and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. I want you to think about this. He's a fisherman. What does he know how to do? Fish. Was Jesus a fisherman? No, he was a preacher. All right? So it'd be like a preacher coming up to a professional fisher and saying, hey, buddy, listen, why don't you cast on the other side of your boat? I mean, I just, you know, I know you've been hitting the bank over here, but I'm just saying, cast over the other side. He'd be like, preacher, what do you, you, why don't you stick to the thing that you know? That's, I mean, that's my mind, right? I mean, you know, it'd be like a preacher coming over there and telling you how to, how to run a, a cattle farm. And you're like, I, I know how to. I know how to run a cattle farm, preacher. I don't need you telling me how to run a cattle farm. No, put the cow on the other side of the chute. Dude, are you even serious? So I'm just, what I'm wanting you to see is that this is, so they've worked all night long, didn't catch anything. So if that is your job, and, and it's kind of like uh, farming. You guys realize that farming is, uh, like my wife keeps teasing me. She goes, Daniel, you know, maybe we should be repenting of all the gambling that we're doing in our life. I'm like, we're not gambling. She goes, what do you think farming is? <laughs> Like, I'm like, well, you're not wrong there. So, <coughs> so they, they went out and they, they gambled on this, this part of the lake and they gambled over here. And, and anyways, they're fishing and they worked all night long with their understanding of how fish work and how, how the fishing work. They didn't catch anything. Now, most of you know a little bit about fishing. When's typically the best times to fish? Early morning, late night, right? Well, what's Jesus been doing all day? preaching. Hey, it's sun's up, hot, everybody's cleaned their nets. They've cleaned the nets. Let's, let's go out, let's put out to deep water. We worked all night, Master. You get it? We worked all night. We didn't catch a thing. Now listen to this, though. I love this. Master, we've worked hard all night. We've caught nothing. But because you say so, I'll let down my nets. Let that sink in for just a little bit. I mean, when you think about the scenario, if he lets down his nets, what's he going to have to do after they get done? He's going to have to clean them again. He spent all night long. He had his 12-hour shift working all night long. And you guys, I don't know if you've ever, like, saw how, you know, any of those fishing shows. And, and, and back, you know, now they have all these cranks and everything. You know, these guys are throwing nets, and they're pulling, and they're tired. They're exhausted. They're sweaty. They're smelly. And they didn't catch nothing. And now Jesus says, I know that you cleaned up your nets. I know that you're ready to go rest for the day. I'm asking you to go back out. Well, you know it's hot. We're not going to catch any fish. And Jesus said, I want you to do this. And he says, because you said so. I love this. What if we lived our life like that? Lord, because you said so, I'm going to forgive. Oh, come on. Because you said so, I'm going to forgive that knucklehead. Because you said so, I'm going to love the, the unlovable. Because you said so, God, I'm going to do this. Even I don't want to do that. 
Don't think for a moment that Peter wanted to go out into the water and drop out a net. He didn't. But because his master said so. What if we live like that? What if 2022 you live like that? You're reading in your Bible and God says he wants you to do something. He wants you to bear with one another. He wants you to encourage. God, because you said so, I'm going to be more encouraging. Because you said so, I'm going to stop complaining. Because you said so. Come on, right? So, he threw it out. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They didn't catch nothing. Now the nets began to break. Listen to this. They began to break. So they signaled their partners. Now they have to get in their boats. We're holding this up. The nets are starting to break. we got so many fish, we can't pull it up in the boat. It's breaking our nets. They come over, and they came over, filled both boats so that they began to sink. So many fish in this one catch that both the boats are starting to what? Sink. They're taking on water because they're so full of fish. Now listen to this. This is I love this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Like everybody else, now we're gonna the next verse, all the other people were amazed. Everyone else is amazed. Peter's falling at his feet. When you begin, when when, when God, the more that God reveals who he is to you, the more sin will be revealed in your life. Come on, right, Pastor Paul? Pastor Paul, right before service, was talking about, man, when I'm really studying the glory of God, it only continues to show more sin in my life. The closer you get to God's glory, the more sinful nature is revealed. The more you get to know who God is, the more things in your life that begins to open itself and reveal itself, and you really see who you are. Peter in this moment saw that he's not just a preacher. He's not just a prophet. Something's different about this guy, and all of a sudden, the moment he realizes who Jesus is, he realizes who he is. Go away from me, I'm sinful. You see, a problem that we have in our lives is that we don't really want to deal with sin in our own life. And we, t- we spend our whole life trying to justify our sin. So it's not as bad as what it is, right? Come on, don't we do it? I might be doing this, but did you know that person's doing that? So I'm not that bad. And what, what the problem is, is that we're not looking at ourselves in the view of who God is. He doesn't want you to compare to the next person sitting next to you. He doesn't want you to compare yourself to somebody who's not even trying to follow Christ. He's saying, I want you to look at me, now look at you. And that's what Peter did in this moment. He says, go away from me. He falls down at his knees. So here's the first thing I want you to see. Called to repent. That's the first thing that God's calling us to. Calling to repentance. See, here's the thing. Some of the disciples were amazed. Some of them were astonished at the catch, right? He felt unworthy. How many of you, let's just be honest for a moment. How many of you, when you were saved, you remember the moment you were saved, you remember when a preacher told you that you could be forgiven, you finally believed that moment I could be forgiven. Anybody ever struggle with the thought that they could be forgiven? Then the moment that you asked God to forgive, how many of you felt like you were unworthy as you were receiving forgiveness? Like, I'm unworthy of this. Pastor Paul, when you were called to preach the Word of God to God, did you feel, did you feel worthy? 
No. I remember the day that God called me to be a pastor, and I'm sitting there, and I cried, and I wept for like a long time. I don't even know how long, but I wept and I cried because I'm like, I'm not worthy of this. Why would God choose me? You see, God didn't get on to them. He didn't, he, so here's, here's, here's what happens. When I start knowing who God is, and then I realize, because I know I'm, I'm really realizing who God is, I'm realizing who I am. And what that does is that brings in that I, I'm really not worthy of this. But here's what's amazing. God never corrected him for feeling that way. He never said, oh, don't feel unworthy. You're completely worthy. No, God never said that. But here's what I also started thinking about this. With Peter in mind, I started thinking about this. When you accept something that you feel unworthy of, salvation, maybe God calls you to serve him somehow, aren't you more grateful for it? When you realize that I wasn't worthy of this, but, I'm, but you accept it? So I remember the day that I accepted the call of God. I was so grateful. I'm like, I can't believe that God would choose me to do this. I felt this, this overwhelming gratitude towards God then I also didn't want to screw it up right Lord help me not screw this up <laughs> you know well, help me I don't want to mess this up I don't want to do something wrong and, and lose this this feeling of what you've done in my life and I didn't take it for granted I still today don't take it for granted I don't forget that feeling that I know I know that I'm not worthy for it God didn't call me because I was worthy he called me because he loved me and he wanted to call me there wasn't a reason. It wasn't like I was different than anybody else. Maybe the difference was is I accepted the call when a lot of people haven't. Paul felt the same thing. Paul in Romans chapter 7, he says, what a wretched man I am. I mean, that's what Paul, one of the greatest evangelists, the greatest missionaries the world's ever seen, what a wretched man I am. When he knows who God is, he knew who he was, and he's like, man, what a wretched man I am. You see, when you stop comparing yourself to other people and you only evaluate yourself in the view of who God is, that's how you respond. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? What an amazing verse. Thanks be to God. And I love how he writes it. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in, in this, he says, your sorrow, he's talking about a church that messed up really bad. And he says, your sorrow, this sorrow that was in your life, your sorrow led you to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended. When we have sin in our life, God wants us to feel sorrow. He doesn't want you to feel shame. That's the devil. The devil plays the shame game. God wants you to feel sorrow. Not sorry that I got caught. That's the world's way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. What do I need to be saved from? Sin. That's what we need to be saved from. Sin. Godly sorrow leads to repentance that leads to salvation. Leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry that I got caught. That's what most people, that's what you really hear. And, and, and still, when people get caught, they're still justifying. Well, you know, yeah, I did it, but. Yeah, I did it, but. Yeah, I did it, but. Okay, that's worldly sorrow. Whatever happened to God, get away from me. I'm a sinful person. Whatever happened to I'm a wretched man, God save me. 
But we always want to justify it. We always want to rationalize it. We always want to make our sin smaller than what it is. When God just wants us to repent of it. To feel a godly sorrow. And then he tells him, he says, see what the godly sorrow produced in you? Look at this. What earnestness. When you really feel a godly sorrow, it produces a earnestness. Like, I want to fix this. God, I don't want to feel like this. God, I don't want to carry the sin anymore. What earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation. They was even angry that they let themselves get to that place. Um, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. He's like, man, look what it produced in your life. Now, going back to Luke. For he and all of his companions, they were astonished at the catch. Like I told you, that was going to happen. Um, they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. So the other two fishermen that God calls at the same time are working for Simon. They're his partners. They're, they're, they're working for him, right? Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Come on now, Right? You see, when God makes, when you really have a revelation of who God really is, doesn't it make you just want to follow Him? I mean, the more that you get to know who Jesus is, what He taught, what He stood for, and how He's walking in your own life, how He's helping you in your own life, it's kind of like, God, I just want to follow you some more. I want to get closer. God, I want to leave some more stuff behind. See, the problem is, a lot of times, we don't want to leave things behind we want to carry our things with us and try to follow him at the same time come on how many of us have done that how many how many we still trying to carry all this other stuff with us and God's just like why don't you get rid of that so you can follow me better now I'm not telling you all to go home and quit your jobs I'm not not unless God is you know maybe maybe God is going to call you I, I remember when God called pastor Paul, pastor Isaiah to Haiti he, he owned a house like, God, if you want me to go, you're going to have to sell this house. God, if you want this, you're going to have to. So, so things began to change. Now, I need to pick it up. So, yeah, I need to pick up my pace. All right. Sorry about that. <coughs> so they left everything. They followed him. So we're called to repent. We're called to follow. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector. So this is the same chapter. We saw him call these four fishermen. Now, here's the thing. Understand that. Matthew, the tax collector, would have known exactly who Jesus is. He's been preaching all throughout the town. They would have known him. But he doesn't necessarily have the exact same relationship that Simon already had with him. But he has a relationship. He knows of Jesus. At Jesus went out and he saw this tax collector uh, by the name of Levi sitting at his tax. And he says, follow me. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. I, I'm, I'm amazed at how these, these men were willing they're willing to leave whatever, God, whatever is in the way, I'll leave it behind and I want to follow you. So here's what I want you to understand about them. <clears throat> They're a disciple. A disciple in the Greek word is mathetes. It's a pupil or a student. Anybody can be a disciple of Christ because it means that you literally want to be a student. Anyone who's ever went to school understands. Now, most of you, if you've ever went to school, you'd have a favorite teacher, right? There's a teacher that you really like. You have a favorite class, and you love when they're teaching you, unless you're homeschooled and you're stuck with your parents, and your mom is your favorite teacher, and your only teacher, and your dad's the principal, and, the, and he's got a belt. So, <clears throat> but I want you to understand something really unique about this. So these disciples, these guys, they're leaving everything to follow Jesus. Culturally, 
they weren't the typical students. Most of the, the, the biblical students, when they found a rabbi, like Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi, the guys that were going to study preaching at college, and they were studying it, usually they would find a rabbi that they really like and what he stood for and how he taught, and they would want to become that rabbi's student, that rabbi's, I want you to disciple me. When you get old and you retire, I want you to nominate me. I want you to, 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 to endorse my ministry. And that's how they did it. That's how they did it. Here's what's so crazy is that Jesus went around and he went to them and he says, I want you to come be my student. He didn't go to the college. He didn't go to the ones who you would think he would have went to. He didn't go to the Pharisees. He went to the fishermen. He went to a tax collector. Of all the people in the world, he went to a tax collector. But see, culturally, these guys understood, okay, wow, a teacher's asking us to be his disciple. We're never going to get another deal like this ever again. That's why they left everything, is because this, in that culture, there was nothing better than to be a disciple of a great rabbi. Wow, what an honor. And every one of us get the same honor. We're invited to the same thing. I love how Jesus taught them a little bit later. In Matthew, he taught them. He said this was one of the things that he taught them. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a student to be like his teacher. It's enough for a servant to be like his master. So I am not going to be greater. I'm not above my teacher, Jesus. But I get to be like him. That's what a student does. I want to be like my teacher. This year, we want to be more like Jesus. So I already said this, but I'm going to say it again. So who can become a disciple of Christ? Anyone who will accept the call. Everyone is called to repentance. Everyone is called to follow Christ. In fact, Jesus, when he left this earth, he left his disciples with this mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. So he wants everybody to be a disciple. He wants everybody to follow him. The last thing I want to show you is this. When he talked to Peter in 5.10, he says... Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. I love what Jesus does. Every time he calls us, he gives us purpose. He doesn't just say, I want you to follow me. And then we're like, why? What are we doing? How does this work? He's calling them for purpose. Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men, not fish. Well, the moment that he calls uh, Levi, I love this, and, and, and Luke 5.29, then the moment that he says, come follow me, that very day... Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus. He's sitting here at a tax collector. Everybody hates him. He's sitting at a tax collector booth. The whole world hates Levi. They all hate him. The world, everybody, because of what he is and what his job is and what he stands for. And now the moment that Jesus says, you know what, I want you to come be my student. I want you to be a disciple of me. I quit this job. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be this type. So what does he do? God, I want to do something for you. I'm going to hold a banquet and I'm going to invite all my friends. You know who all of his friends are? Tax collectors and sinners. But he invites them anyways, guys. I don't have a lot of influence. I don't have a lot of friends. But I'll invite all the friends that I have and I want to tell them about what Jesus says about me. Come on. Is that not amazing? So he invites everybody around. There's a large crowd of tax collectors and sinners that show up to that banquet. 
See, he didn't even know that this was the purpose that God called him for. Didn't even realize it because the moment that you begin to follow Jesus, you're living out your purpose and you sometimes don't even know it. You're just doing it. One day you wake up and you're like, you're, you're holding this banquet. You have people over at your house and you're talking about Jesus. And he goes, that's the purpose. You're doing it. You know, right there. They're all, all, your, all your friends are right around you and you're talking about me. There you're, that's the purpose. That's, come on. And so what I love this is that, so 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That. See, there's the, the, the purpose, that. So he's saying this God has called us to be his chosen people, his royal priesthood, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Man, isn't that amazing that God's like, I'm going to call you out of darkness. To me, that would have been a good deal. He just, just getting me out of the darkness is good. He says, I don't want to just get you out of darkness, but now I want you to declare praises. We're not going to just stop outside of the edge of darkness. I'm going to call you out of darkness, and I'm calling you into the light, and now you get to sing about the joy of your life, the love in your life, the peace in your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, you guys all know this. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I mean, this. yeah, he's speaking to Israel, but do you think that God doesn't have a plan for your life too? I love, I love how Isaiah says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways. God's ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In other words, this, God's plans for your life is higher than the plans you have for your life. Yeah. Ephesians 2.10, if you're not convinced by now, we are God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ to do. God created you to do good works which he's already prepared in advance. Before you took your first breath, he already knew what he had in store for you to do. God knew that when, before I was created that he wanted me to preach his word. I look at that and I'm still amazed. Like before I was born, God already knew this amazing plan for my life if I would just surrender to it. When he called me that I would just answer the call. Same for you. Just answer the call. Romans 9.17, for Scripture says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, this, he was used in a very bad way, but that's because of his own idiocy. I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Well, Pharaoh rebelled against God, rebelled against God, rebelled against God, and guess what still happened? God's power was still displayed, and God's name was still proclaimed. Here's the deal. God's name is going to be proclaimed through your life one way or the other. I would far rather say, God, I accept the call. I want to proclaim your name. Because you know what? At the end of the day, every knee's going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Whether you want to or not, it's going to happen. There is no out of that. It's going to happen. So I can do it out of my own free will or I can be forced. I mean, the that's what I'm... I, I, I'm like, God, you gave me a choice. If living in purpose was easy, the banquet uh, Levi held, if you think about this, if, if, if just living a life of purpose, the story would have ended right there, right? Levi held the banquet in honor of Jesus Christ. All of his tax collector and sinful friends showed up. Jesus saved everybody. Woo! Go home! But that's not how the story ends, does it? You see, here's the problem. There's always a problem. 
the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the, the churchy people. That's what, you know what's so sad is it always seems like the problem's coming from churchy people. Right? Man, what if a church just is a church? And you stop trying to be and act and, 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 and put yourself that you're something that you're not. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they be, the, that belonged to the sect, complained to his disciples. Here's what, I look at that and I'm like, what a bunch of cowards. They didn't complain to Jesus. They didn't say, Jesus, why are you doing this? I don't under, help us understand why you're eating with a bunch of sinners. Why did you go to the bar and sit down with that person? I'm not saying he went to the bar and drank. I'm saying that he, you know, so a lot of times what we, we, think, we, we look at that and go, you know, like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with those people, right? Why are you hanging out with those people? Why do you eat and drink with collectors, tax collectors, and sinners? Why are you doing this, right? Come on, why are you doing this? They didn't complain to Jesus and ask him why he was doing this. They complained to his disciples. It's like another adult coming to a student and saying, why is your teacher teaching this? What's the purpose of doing that? I want you to think, what is the purpose of the Pharisees to doing that? Because that student wasn't going to be able to answer that question ever. Because they're the student. All they wanted to do was cause division. Huh? All they wanted to do was cause an issue. Stir the pot. They were complaining to, to a person who couldn't even fix their complaint. Think about this. How many times have you complained about something to a person who cannot actually fix your complaint? Huh? Think about this. You're complaining to someone that actually can't do anything about your complaint. What's the purpose of that complaint? I'll tell you the purpose of it. Sin. That's, the, that's my, my boot on the toe. It is. Think about it. If you actually have a legitimate complaint, then you go to the one who can fix it. You don't complain to a person who has no control, no authority to do anything. It drives me crazy. Now, this doesn't happen here very often, but it drives me crazy when people complain about a pastor. About the pastor, not to the pastor. They gripe and they gripe and they gripe and they gripe about to somebody else who can't do nothing about it. When all they had to do was shut their mouth, walk over here, and talk to this person and say, I have an issue with you. Well, let's sit down and talk about it. You see, that's what the Pharisees, that's the problem. They weren't even concerned about what Jesus was doing. They're just stirring the pot with the disciples of the teacher, right? Now check this out. It all comes from pride. Don't miss this. The trouble with pride. This, every one of us is a battle with pride. There's a battle with pride. The first one is this, self-righteous. I'm going through every one of those steps. We're called to repent. We're called to follow. We're called to a purpose. Self-righteous don't need to repent. Now, a lot of times when we look at it and say, okay, well, you know what? I'm not one of those self-righteous people. But I want you to, before you say that, there's two sides of this coin of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness can also come from somebody who's filled with sin and they're just justifying it. I know I got a lot of sin, but I'm not as bad as that person. I know I've got a lot of sin, but you know what? At least it's not this sin. You know, I might cuss a lot, but I'm not shacked up. I might be doing this, but I'm not that. I might do this, but at least I'm not that. That's still self-righteous. 
That repentance isn't real. It's a sham. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cast off of what real repentance looks like. Real repentance looks like, Lord, depart from me, I'm sinful. The real repentance looks like, I'm a wretched man, God. That's what repentance looks like. Self-righteousness looks like, well, it's not as bad as so-and-so. Self-proclaimed people who, you know, these Pharisees, these people, they're self-proclaimed, I'm a Christian, I'm this, I'm this. They don't have a need to follow anybody. There's a lot of people who like the idea of Jesus, but they sure don't want to follow him. When you follow a teacher, when you follow Jesus, you're submitting to him and doing what he wants, even if you don't want to. Let me give you a great example of how many people have no need to follow Christ. You know what they do? I don't want to forgive. I'm unwilling to forgive. Guess what you're unwilling to do? I'm not willing to follow you. Am I right? If you're unwilling to do what God's called you to do, then you're unwilling to follow. He didn't ask you if you wanted to forgive. He didn't ask if you wanted to love. He didn't ask if you wanted... He says, would you follow me? You're denying yourself and you're picking up the cross and you're following me daily. And you're going to follow me down some roads and you're going to have to forgive when you don't want to forgive. You're going to have to love when you don't want to love. Sorry that this is a long sermon. It's what happens when you take two weeks off. Third part, self Dependent, that means that I don't need anybody else. Self-dependent, have no need for purpose. They are their own purpose. That's a person who's like, I don't need to follow anybody. If you don't need to follow anybody, then you have already decided what your own purpose is. But when you're dependent upon God, you're like, God, what do you want me to do? God, where do you want me to go? God, I'll go anywhere, tell anyone about you. What do you want me to do today? That's what we're talking about here. So, let me... Hey, look at that. Last slide. Woo-hoo-hoo! Come on. All right. So Jesus answered them in Luke 5.31, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sin. They weren't righteous, but he wasn't going to go down that road with them. He wasn't going to argue whether they were righteous or not. He already knew. But he's like, these guys know they're not righteous. They're here because they know who they are. And they want to change. I've come for them. You see, God comes for those who are real. That's what I love about Living Water is that we're a real church. You know what? We're messed up. Amen? We're a bunch of misfits trying to figure out life. And you know what? It's okay. We, we're, we're okay crying at the altar. We're okay saying that I, I messed up this week. We're okay with being able to be honest. Just like everyone who encountered Jesus. I'm a wretched man. I'm a sinful person. Walk away from me. And I love how in Matthew... Matthew being the one that's hosting this. This is what I, I added. So in Luke, he's just writing down this historical document of what's happening. And Jesus said, you know, it's not the... Matthew remembers something else that these Pharisees said. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew remembered that. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Think about it. Self-righteous people... People who, who don't really want to follow Jesus, don't really want to submit, don't want to walk a humble life. They're not about mercy. They're about showing that they have sacrificed. Look what I have done. Look what I did for God. Look what I'm doing for God. And he's like, I would rather you give mercy than show me all the sacrifice. He's like, I would rather you show mercy to somebody than sacrifice a hundred bulls in my name. That's literally what it would have meant to them. Can you imagine that? 
I would rather you go show mercy. And the Pharisees couldn't get it because they were too good. They were better than everybody else. Jesus couldn't use them as his students because they didn't even understand what it meant to follow his ways. To follow Jesus' ways is to offer mercy, to be merciful, just like God had mercy on you. 